1: My second book, How To Have Difficult Conversations About Race, is now the number one new release in its category on Amazon. I'm so excited, so excited for this, because we've put a lot of work into it, and this was risky, because as a lawyer who's focusing on negotiation and conflict resolution, talking about race seems, for many, to be outside of the scope of what I usually do. But again, how are we defining negotiation? We define negotiation as anytime you're having a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. And as the podcast is titled, Negotiate Anything, we can negotiate anything. And in my years of doing uh, all of this work in the professional world, difficult conversations about race is something that comes up over and over and over again in the workplace. And there isn't really a, a solid resource out there that blends the fundamentals of negotiation and conflict resolution and effective communication with this particular topic so it's risky it is risky to venture in this way but i'm really excited and encouraged by this early result so this is not just a win for me this is a win for you too because you are part of this tribe and so a quick note about the book who did i write this for i I wrote this for the person who is passionate about changing the world and their organizations for the better the leader who leads a diverse team and the professional who wants to learn how to overcome the hidden barriers that make it tough to connect with people with a different background. So whether you consider yourself an ally or just want to avoid making a critical mistake when discussing race, this book is for you. And for you as a podcast listener, I'm making a direct request. After six years and over 600 episodes of Negotiate Anything, I'm asking for your support in this endeavor to make the world a better place. Our goal of the American Negotiation Institute is to change the world, and this book plays a critical role in making that happen. And we would love to have your support. We have the links in the description of this episode so you can get your copy of How to Have Difficult Conversations About Race. andy thanks for joining us today thanks for having me hey man it is my pleasure so how would you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do
2: all right uh thanks for having me i'm the gc uh and chief privacy officer at a company called alice which is a business to business gifting technology platform uh, in the marketing and, and uh, uh, marketing space. and before that I was the GC at a company called Session M, which was also in the marketing space, but uh, more loyalty program software. and we sold that company to MasterCard and um, uh, had a great ride there, a couple companies before that. <laughs> and uh, and before that, I was uh, you know in school. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: love it. And before that, I was an uh, embryo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like all the way back. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I grew up in Baltimore, so we, you know, which I I love my hometown. So we could we could uh we can always I'm always happy to rap about Baltimore.
1: <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, we're excited to have you and um I'm excited to talk about negotiation with a fellow lawyer. We have the same scars and have ha- been hazed in the same way uh by the legal profession. So this will be fun. Um so the the three things we're going to talk about today first lowering the temperature In our negotiations talking about legal arguments never win which i love we need to go into that and then good books on leadership and negotiation and listeners we started to get all excited talking about this so i said we we need to save some of this energy for the actual podcast and i think this is is great for obviously people who are negotiating contracts but really the the principles from this episode can be applied in any aspects of business and personal life because Listen, Andy. I don't know about you, but um, when my wife says I'm acting
2: like a lawyer, it's never a good thing. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I want to say I, I, we, we. I'm happy to have this chat, and I'm excited about it. I don't think any of these things will work with anyone's spouse. <laughs> I don't. It doesn't work for me. So we'll like. Uh, in the business context, these things work very well.
1: <laughs> Listen, it's it's so funny. Again, typical lawyer hitting us with a disclaimer. I love there it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, cool. Let's let's start off with lowering the temperature.
2: What what should we know about that? I think it 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 especially in a remote world when people are negotiating often over Zoom, haven't met before. Uh, haven't had conversations and maybe they've gone back and forth over email or the sales teams and procurement teams have been talking. When you get on the phone you finally get into that negotiation position with somebody, I think it's really important to set the tone. And, and, and in my case, that often means let's lower the temperature. People are nervous. They don't know what the other side is going to be like. They don't know if somebody is going to be contentious or not, if there's an issue or two that really stand out. So- Try to have some non fake pleasantry <laughs> that actually happens <laughs> in the beginning, you know real stuff, real talk um, and it doesn't have to be about the weather it can even be about you know current current things that are happening in somebody 's company or in somebody's business you know i'm struggling with an issue around something you know something else unrelated it it, it humanizes both sides and then you're starting from uh, a place of of real sort of genuine, like, all right, we're here to solve problems. Um, One thing that I'll do if I've met someone before, or if I know someone in common with them, I'll go like, check out who we're talking to. And I'll just say like, Oh, you know, Sarah, like I know her too. And like, there's just something to that sort of exchange there where you're, you're getting off on the right foot.
1: I love it. It's, it's so simple, but really, really powerful, Andy, because, and let me know if you think this too. I feel like that art of rapport building is is becoming a lost art because so many people are either busy or like to act like they are too busy <laughs> to actually invest in the relationship in this way.
2: Let me tell. I'll tell a quick story. Uh, at my last company, Session M, uh, I, one of the things I tried to do was to make sure that I had pretty good contacts at our biggest customers, and that could either mean the biggest. Paying customer or big big brands, and in one case, we had a medium sized customer was Coca Cola, and we were renegotiating part of the agreement. And I was working with a lawyer on the other side, and she and I worked well together, and and were able to do the things that you know establish some rapport, get the deal done, and afterwards we stayed in touch, and we started talking about issues that were. Affecting both a small company and a large company, and things that were just sort of outside of that, and we started bonding, and we started introducing other people to other people, you know, around, and we became friends. And interestingly, that that came from sort of lowering the temperature and having a reasonable negotiation between, you know, frankly, a party that had way more leverage than I did, Coca Cola, um, and I was a an upstart, you know, SaaS company. So fast forward, we're selling Session M to MasterCard. And at the very end of the deal, I'm talking the goal line, you know, there are five contracts that require the customer to approve assignment, you know, over to a buyer. It happens to be that I have contacts at all of them because we sent, we spent the time establishing those connections and Coca-Cola. So I texted her look you know we're 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 on the goal line here and uh and she said the person that approves this is going on vacation like today and he's gonna be gone for you know a week and I, like time kills deals you know and yeah. so I would start freaking out and I was like can i can I talk to him can you help me can I talk to him and so t- half an hour later she sends me a text you know here's a, here's his number give him a call so I call him I reach him in the airport He's in the airport. And I'm like, can you please approve this? And he's like, I don't know. I'm about to go out. How urgent is it? You know, I'm sitting here in the gate, the airport. (laughs) I said, look, you know, this is the deal. The deal to sell the company. Can you please? And he's like, I'll take care of it. And it was approved. And, and, you know, it wasn't a roadblock to the deal at all. And um, I'm not saying every situation works out like that, but it it certainly was instructive to me. I love that. Andy, first of all, impeccable storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
1: That was great. That was great. And I think there are a couple of gems that I want to pull from this. The first thing is, I think a lot of times people are too tactical when they think about relationship building and creating these connections and building rapport, because they're thinking tactically in in a very short-term type of way. I'm doing this right now to close this specific deal in this specific moment, right now. And then they don't have the long-term perspective. And and what I'm finding more and more is that it is never a bad move to make the right decision, (laughs) right? Like making the right decision in this case is just building relationships, investing into people. It might not always lead to some financial benefit down the road, but (laughs) it's not going to hurt you, right? And so I think this is just an incredible testament to the
2: It shows up in ways you don't even expect. So there's that story I had with her. She left Coca-Cola, went to another customer of of my same company. So then we still had the ongoing relationship. And then she left again and went to another company, you know that that is again, sort of tangentially related. So you're able to keep those relationships, but more importantly, we're friends now. And so more importantly, I have a friend at at multiple companies that you know I can reach out to and say, um, give me your take on this. You're at a much bigger company than I am. What are the issues you face versus the ones I face? And it gives you that really clear person to, to bounce things off of so that when you go on to the next negotiation or the next situation, you can say, ah, you know, I've really touched on this with my brain trust uh, around, around this space and I have a pretty good sense for the issue.
0: Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.
1: One of the things that you mentioned earlier that I really, really liked is at the beginning, we have to set the tone and we do that by, by building the relationship, creating these connections and things like that. But one of the things I want to really highlight there. Is that you, the listener, whoever you might happen to be, you should take it upon yourself to do this. It should be your responsibility. And so you'll listen to this episode of the podcast and you'll say, yes, Andy said, lower the temperature. The temperature should be lowered by who? You, (laughs) by you, right? Um, One of the things I always say is that it, it only takes one person to improve the quality of a relationship. It's better with two, but it only takes one. And it's up to you to get that momentum moving.
2: I completely agree and I love that. And I was at a conference recently and our, our panel was on this. So, th- so this applies internally as well as external. Like the the panel was on uh, privacy and marketing, that relationship between the marketing team and the privacy team. And how do you how do you you know make that a good, a good, strong relationship? And I I said, you know, sort of an iteration of what you just said, I said to the to the audience, it's up to you it's your job. And this was an audience of lawyers and privacy people. Like You have to reach out to marketing. It's not marketing's job to come to you and know this is a legal issue. You're the issue spotter, not them. So you need to establish, I'm here. This is where you can find me. These are the things I care about. And these are the things we're going to do together to be successful for our own mutual gain for the company. So that, that mantra totally applies internally too. Absolutely. And so what I'm realizing
1: too is that we can diffuse a lot of these bombs before they go off just by taking the time to build rapport. And so I I remember a couple of times people would ask, maybe it's students in my classes or the um, like people at the corporate trainings that we do, they might say, well, what do you do if somebody blows up during these negotiations, if there's a a major emotional outburst? And I thought about it for a while and I, I said, honestly, that doesn't happen to me that frequently anymore. And I don't think it's anything special about me is that I'm, I'm realizing that I'm doing a better job as I get a little bit more mature and developed in my career of identifying the signals of a potential emotional outburst early. And so like you, like you said, at the beginning, we set the tone, we lower the temperature, but then we're constantly looking out for these indicators of emotional distress. And so before it becomes a big problem, we try to solve it when it's a small problem.
2: I think that's true for me too. I think I'm doing a better job at identifying that just the Gladwell 10,000 hours, you know, just thousands of negotiations with, you know, thousands of people on the other side. You just start to get a feel for it and feel for the tempo. I think it happens less frequently, but I still think it's a good question because it still happens and uh, it happens maybe to varying degrees, like it doesn't happen in the same way, but um, I still get thrown off. When somebody on the other side is really, really aggressive or really um, passive aggressive, and, or, or the red lines that preceded the negotiation were filled with comments that were insulting or, or, or sort of like overbearing on, on the kind of leverage front. You know? And so I come into it heightened. Yeah. And Andy, it's it's so important for us to recognize that though, because a lot of
1: times when we're in the heat of the moment, we understand there's a difference between facts and feelings, but they feel the same right then when you're really hot under the collar. And so it's really important to understand when you're triggered so you can adjust your approach to think a lot clearer. So when that happens to you, how do you respond?
2: I think better now, you know, than than when I used to. I think back to when, you know, in the early days I was at a big company and so I was the buyer and I was negotiating against a company that was, you know, selling us services. They were very overbearing. The, the lawyer was an outside counsel and they were very overbearing and very like trying to push us around. And I was very junior and I had a couple sticking points, right? And I kept sticking with them. And we got off one of the calls and I went you know to a mentor of mine next door and I was like he was the IP guy and it was an IP issue and I was like am I wrong cuz I needed to you know sort of pressure test this and and check it and he said no like you're you're not wrong you're you're stick stick to your guns here and the next call the guy totally blew up i mean he was furious yelling and i was heightened you know back to him and i just said like i basically i think i sort of said like We can't go forward, and and I so I just kind of called stop. And what ended up happening was they ended up pulling him out and bringing in their internal attorney and finishing the deal. So that sort of showed me like, hey, that I was so young, right? Like I didn't realize that that I kept questioning if I was wrong. Still, you know, I kept questioning, am I doing something that is so off market, or is my position, you know, unrefined? (laughs) You know, do I not know? And uh, it ended up. I think they needed to bring someone in who is more kind of willing to get the deal done. But as I progress and as I learn over time, those issues seem to be coming up less and less and less. Because when someone gets heightened, I-, I think I'm better able to modulate myself.
1: That's a great story, and it it's so true though. Like as you get more experience, you can you can handle yourself a lot better. But your story demonstrated a really important principle when it comes to holding your ground under pressure. And it is a simple reality that is true, but I don't think it's very comforting. (laughs) And so really under those circumstances, what do you do? You double check with other people just to make sure your emotions aren't getting in the way of clarity of thought. And then you come back and then you hold your ground and then they breathe fire and you hold your ground. And I think that's the thing that people struggle with because they want this silver bullet. They want the magic negotiation techniques that make somebody nice. Sometimes (laughs) it's just not going to happen. And the negotiation technique
2: is simply resilience. There's power in saying something really calmly, like, I hear you. I just have a different view. Like we think about the issue differently and then kind of pause and stop there And no, no more rhetoric or comment on it. Now they may come back at you with some, and you can say, I've talked about it a lot with my team here. I've talked about it with my outside counsel and just like, we, we have a different take on it and like, let the silence hit. And typically they're not going to come back at you again and again on an issue. They're going to move to the next one. And so I think that helps even if you disagreed and you had some fire around that disagreement. Once you move on to the next one and maybe you sort of show again another sort of olive branch about we're here to solve a problem, it usually like lowers the temperature again through the rest of the negotiation. because there's always going to be little moments when the temperature spikes up and down.
1: Right. For sure. For sure. And one of those things that can make the emotional temperature of the room spike up is when you start to get into legal arguments. And now I don't want people to say, oh, I'm not a lawyer. I'm going to move to the next podcast. No. Unless you're moving to another episode of Negotiate Anything, when I would accept that, <laughs> or Andy's <laughs> podcast too. But, um, but yeah, sometimes we get into these legalistic or moralistic or types of arguments where I'm right, you're wrong, and we're, we feel a lot of conviction. But we're surprised that somebody feels the same level of conviction in the opposite direction. So, so let's go deeper when, you, uh, as it relates to this topic of legal arguments and the lack of efficacy there.
2: When I say legal arguments never win. I'm sort of referring to, you know, the idea that someone quoting chapter and verse to you or someone quoting a case or case law or something or somebody just saying like I'm, you know, Acme Corp Inc and my position as a company is that every vendor we do business with gives us uncapped liability. Like that kind of thing. It never wins. If you have a good a good counterparty They'll play games with you with that argument, and so I think the truth is, what wins is facts. The law has to be there. Um, you have to have an underlying understanding of what what the deal is, and the commercial terms matter. And the way the if it's a tech deal, the way the tech operates matters. If it's a services deal, the way the services will be delivered matters. the The leverage the parties have, you know, all of those things matter way more than the nuanced, intricate, you know. What is the, what article of the GDPR are we discussing? Or, you know, is this legal under, you know, contract law in New York? Like, it's just, it's never going to get you to the finish line. What does get you to the finish line is I can't do that because my software doesn't do this. Right. (laughs) Right.
1: It's so funny, Andy, when you explain it that way, it's so obvious. But again, in the heat of the moment, we lose that. And so let's say, hypothetically, people say, all right, Andy, I'm not going to do that. But I'm negotiating against somebody who does. So how do we pull somebody else out of that mindset?
2: I think um, it depends on, you know, where you are sort of in the life of that negotiation, right? Are you down to the last two things? You're down to the last two things. Last two things, in your experience and mine, they're often indemnity and liability or reps or warranties or something, you know, of that ilk. We're down to these critical things. All right. What I'll try to do is I'll try to say, I hear you, I hear your position. I know you've heard mine and just let me know, are we at the point where you, where it, we can't move anymore? You know, tell me, cause I, what I'll do is then I will go back to my team and we'll have a very serious discussion about whether we can move forward. And, and I think that, and because you, you have to stop at that point, you have to take a breather. And you have to if you've narrowed it down and you're at you're at a bet the deal moment, right? If it's an uncapped liability versus you know versus uh, capping at at a reasonable cap, you are at a bet the deal moment because you won't do the deal. If you're a smart company, you just won't do the deal. It won't be worth it. If the revenue of the deal on one side is a hundred k, and you're at an uncapped liability position and you have real liability, you're going to go very seriously discuss whether that deal makes sense because I'm not going to. Close that deal and then go to our board and our investors and management team and the whole company and say, Great deal, great logo, but like it's fraught. It, it's not going to work. And so I think you can, you can say, I've, I've said that exact thing to the other party, like, I want to work with you. I want to close the deal. But these terms make the deal potentially untenable. So we're going to have to go have that conversation. And then if your sales team or the, the, the procurement team or the other business teams that have been working on this deal, if they truly have pull and they truly want the deal to happen, they'll get some flexibility on that other side and you'll get some flexibility on your side. And then the next time you have a call, you'll, you'll either get the deal done or it will just, just wasn't meant to be. You weren't meant to get married.
1: Exactly. And I, I think that's a really important point to make. And I think about negotiation, not as the art of deal making, but more the art of deal discovery. We're working together to see whether or not a deal exists. And just like you said earlier, you said that you have to focus on the facts. You have to focus on the truth. And the truth for you and what is factually accurate is, listen, this is a deal breaker. I'm not trying to grandstand here. If this, in fact, is a deal breaker for you, talk to your team about it. I'll talk to my team about it and see if we can make something happen. If we can't, that is completely okay. And I I think a lot of people are afraid
2: of being that honest. In a negotiation i think there's some level of playing chicken and i think i think um especially lately when i am uh, a smaller vendor dealing with an enterprise customer there's a lot of playing games of chicken here but you have to be thoughtful again about the facts and the commercials like i'm in the middle of a deal right now it's a renewal with a really big customer that has a really big uh really if i'm being totally honest uh, messy and difficult procurement organization that just is getting in the way of of deals getting done. And I've, it got to a point where I just had to say, "We can't, we can't do the deal." And it's, I said, "I'm I'm so sorry. I know I know we've worked on this, but the position you've taken is not possible for us." The next day, they were emailing us again about well we went back to legal and you know we we they're willing to do this and do that and so you're really kind of i don't like it but there is some there are there are situations when you do have to kind of put it out there like I, this is my point i can't do it and so if you put it out there to the other side and you do it in the way you just described i th- i think it works but you, obviously people are afraid because they're not framing it in, in the way you framed it which is you know really important the way you framed it like we may not have a deal. I want to have a deal, but we may not have one just because of the facts and it's nothing against us. I just think we may have hit a stalemate here. Absolutely. And one of the things that
1: I've found is that it makes it's never easy to hear no when you want to hear yes, but it makes it a bit more palatable when you keep a couple of things in mind. Number one, if you focus on the relationship, Andy, this is not personal. It's not me against you. I I understand your position. I appreciate you articulating it so clearly. Just based on how you said it and how you described it, it can't work for my team. Right? Cool. So I'm going to reaffirm the relationship while still setting a very clear boundary. And then the other thing is giving them the opportunity to save face. Because if we allow somebody to Exit every conversation with their dignity and self respect intact. It makes everything a lot easier. And this kind of, I mean, it circles back
2: to what we we're talking about at the very beginning about creating and maintaining that connection. I, it it said said differently and sort of more simply. You don't throw anyone under the bus, and and that includes someone you've never met in a procurement team that you think is being too too complex and you know not not um, being flexible enough. Still. L- l- treat them with respect and dignity. I'm so sorry but we we can't do the deal the way it's framed now. Thanks for all your your work and time on it. I you know, appreciate it. Leave it there. Then they may then they may go go to bat and try to figure it out.
1: Absolutely. And all right. See, this is one of those, those episodes where I could just keep on going and going. But for, but for the sake of time, let's move on to books on negotiation and leadership. First of all, let's, let, before we start like listing books, let's just talk about your philosophy around self-education.
2: I think... I, um as we were talking about before we started recording you know I have young kids and so my ability to find time to read entire books is limited and so i have to really take suggestions and take advice on what kind of content i'm bringing in so i try to get snippets here and there content podcasts you know my ceo and i will bat around different things he's a big podcast person so we have a slack channel on podcasts and on you know things so there's a there's internal resources to to get good ideas. And he loves snippets of YouTube talks and stuff. And so I think those things are great. And I listen to them while I do the dishes. Um, so that's one hack, I guess. But when I do get into a book, um, it's usually been recommended by a few people multiple times and has different applicability to me. So not necessarily something super hyper-specific for me personally. Like I won't necessarily read a book just about contract negotiation but i'll read about something that has negotiation in it has leadership principles in it has business principles in it and then i can extrapolate something from there
1: yeah and i agree i think it's so important for us to invest in our self-education and very few people i i shouldn't say very few people but i feel like a lot of times, as professionals, and everybody listening to this episode is a professional negotiator. When you are having difficult conversations, trying to persuade people, you you negotiate for a living. Everybody does that to a certain extent, um, but I feel like people are missing out on the opportunity to educate themselves. And you're you're spot on. It takes time, but it pays off. Um, what would you say are some of those books for you that were really strong resources for you?
2: On specifically on negotiating, uh, I'm a little bit biased, but my fa- my father wrote a book, and he he's a ghostwriter for professionals and professional athletes, and so he wrote a book called uh, "The Power of Nice," which is um, the the I don't know it's sort of the principles espoused by a sports agent who um, was Cal Ripken's agent, among other you know pro athletes, and so that was the first book that I read. That focused on a lot of what you and I have talked about. You know, everybody can win. Both sides can win. You just have to get to a deal. It's not about eviscerating the other side. Um, so that book was powerful. And then, kind of more generally, on the leadership side of things, I read um, Shoe Dog, which was the the story of Nike and the story of how Phil Knight, you know, created the Nike brand and there's just a lot of lessons in there just about business about relationships about loyalty about relationships with athletes relationships with um michael jordan and and prefontaine and just how he got the business off the ground and how he um you know handled pressure and and handled really 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 like sort of earth crushing pressure and it, i think it helped me you know recognize that my You know discussion over ip terms isn't isn't as as critical and we can take that break i think you know to what we discussed earlier it's okay to bring the temperature down and take a break and uh, i learned a lot of that from some of these books and resources
1: i love that yeah man it's it is uh i tell you it's it's an incredible resource to have at our disposal now more than ever before. Um, if you're a tangible book reader, you like the physical book, we can have access to that in Amazon Prime two days, right? Um, we have ebooks, instant access. And so for me, I'm a, I'm a book junkie. I, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but. In years that I am not currently writing a book, (laughs) I I try to read a book a week. Um, And I I use the word read loosely because I I do audio books. So I go on Audible, listen in 3.5 times speed, and then I take notes using the dictation function. So at the end of the book, I can get through it in about a week. And I can end up with like 20 or 30 pages, size 12, single space. And then every morning before I go to the gym, I review the book notes. I can put it into an audio file and listen to those uh, book notes in the morning to make sure I'm retaining. Because I, I realize that for any problem, almost any problem that exists, somebody has thought about that and written a book on it. And the, the people who have written these books on these topics have put way more thought into it than I ever will. <laughs> you know. So I just go it's, straight to the source. It
2: sounds like you're putting a lot of thought into the, into the retention of that. And, and that's really interesting. And it made me think of another book called The Messy Middle which was really helpful to me in tech companies. And so if anyone's listening and they're in an early to mid-stage tech company, that one provides a lot of comfort for the leadership journey, You know, whether it's negotiation, hiring, like any of these key issues, it's, it was a really helpful book for me to understand that this is normal, that there's chaos and there's success. And then there's peaks and valleys, and these things are really normal and we can manage our way through them. Um, and so that's that's probably the last one that I'll call out by name uh, as an example. But what you just said made me think of that one too. This
1: is great. Andy, I could talk to you forever, my friend, but Same. We, we have to wrap this up. But before you go, remind the listeners about where you work and your podcast and how they can get in touch.
2: Thanks a lot. Uh, I work at Alice A-L-Y-C-E.com And uh, our Our podcast is available on Spotify and Apple uh, podcasts. It's called the data protection breakfast club. It's myself and my, my good friend, Pedro Pavone, who runs ads policy and monetization at Facebook Meta now it's Meta. Um, And uh, he and I have been friends for a long time. And so we have really good guests on, you know, chief legal officers, chief privacy officers. um, So people look into, to hear from those leaders.
1: This is great. Andy, we will put links to all of that in the description. Thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks
2: for having me. Yeah, it was really fun.